manufacturing actually has been a bit of a bright spot in, in the larger economy. It doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. We are clearly not back to pre-pandemic levels of employment or output at this point. But when you compare it to the service sector, we certainly have fared a little bit better. Overall, the manufacturing sector is just down 1% below where it was last February, which is pretty impressive. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Are we already out of the woods from COVID? Should you be bullish on the economy? How should you plan your investments for this year? Can you comfortably plan for long-term investments? How would the new normal look? What disruptions can you expect in your supply chain? What new consumer trends can you expect? What workforce changes can you expect? If you are a manufacturer, these are the questions you might have as you plan for 2021. In today's episode, we have our guest, Chad Mutre, who discusses the current economic conditions and outlook for manufacturers. He also translates economic insight for small to medium-sized manufacturers who may not understand how these issues might affect them. Finally, we discussed several other topics, including supply chain, consumer behavior in in the new normal, pandemic-driven business trends, changes due to new administration, and much more. Let me introduce Chad to you. Chad Mutre is Chief Economist for the National Association of Manufacturers, also known as NAM, where he serves the NAM's economic forecaster and spokesperson on economic issues. He frequently comments on current economic conditions for manufacturers, through professional presentations and media interviews and has appeared on various news outlets, including CNBC. In addition, he is the director of the Center for Manufacturing Research at the Manufacturing Institute, the social impact arm of the NAM, where he leads efforts to produce thought leadership, data analysis of relevance to business leaders in the sector. Prior to joining the NAM, Dr. Mutre was the chief economist and director of economic research for the Office of Advocacy at the U.S. Small Business Administration from 2002 to 2010. In that role, he was responsible for researching the importance of entrepreneurship to the U.S. economy and highlighting various issues of importance to small business owners, policymakers, and academics. In addition to discussing economic and policy trends, his personal research focused on the importance of educational attainment to both self-employment and economic growth. Prior to working at the SBA, Mr. Mutre was the Dean of the School of Business Administration at Robert Morris College in Chicago, Illinois, now Robert Morris University of Illinois. Under his leadership, the business school has rapid growth, both adding new programs and new campuses. He began the development of an MBA program that began accepting students after his departure and created a business institute for students to work with local businesses on classroom projects and internships. With that, let's get to the conversation. 
Hey, Chad, welcome to the show. It's always great to be on your show, Sam. So nice to be on it. Amazing. So just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Sure, sure. So my name is Chad Moutre. I'm uh, the chief economist at the National Association of Manufacturers. Uh, I've been at the NAM for 10 years now. For those of you who are not familiar with the National Association of Manufacturers, we're 125 years old, largest trade association dedicated to manufacturing in the U.S. And certainly, I think when you think of, of all of the members that we have, a small, medium, and large, pretty much every sector across the country. It doesn't have to be necessarily a U.S. company. We have a lot of global companies as well, as long as there's a U.S. presence. The other comment to make is that I've, I've had a, a, an interesting career. I started my career in academia. I was the dean of the School of Business at Robert Morris College in Chicago, which is actually now part of Roosevelt University. And my passion there was was not only economics, but I also helped grow the MBA program or start the MBA program while I was there. And then after leaving Robert Morris, I, I moved over to the U.S. Small Business Administration, where I was the chief economist for eight years. So kind of a winding career from academia to government to now trade association. Yeah, and it's always fun to talk about any of the economic topics just because that's my favorite subject and it has always been. So I'm super excited to talk about that. But before we do that, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest that we get on our show. And that is going to be, Chad, your perspective on growth. When you think of growth, what does it mean to you? Well, obviously, I mean, I think one of the things that you want to try to do as, as, as an overall economy is just to continue to to grow. I think it's, it's we think about Americans and our standard of living. You know, you always hope that your kids have a better standard of living than, than you than than you do, right? And so I think the key to all of that really is a growing economy. What can we do to make sure that we continue to grow our overall size of the pie, right? Uh, yeah. Making investments in, in research and development and technology, making sure we're smarter, right? I think continuous growth is important for us as, as a society, but also certainly as an individual as well. And all of those things have the tendency to make us richer, uh, but also help us to keep us competitiveness. And so when I think of growth, I think, what, what can we do as a society to continue to make the pie bigger and to make ourselves better off as a result? Okay, amazing. And that's a very interesting insight. And I want to make sure that my audience understand this. And I, when we look at the small to medium-sized manufacturers, they are probably not going to have as much knowledge or I would say translation of how the global economic factor translate to their own personal interest. So I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, so obviously the pie has to be bigger, but how does that benefit? Let's say if I'm the manufacturing CFO, how's it going to benefit me? Well, I think every keep in mind that 90% of the man, of the members of the National Association of Manufacturers are also small and medium-sized manufacturers. And so, I mean, all of them really are thinking about how can I continue to stay competitive? How can I continue to keep up with the Joneses? And in many cases, they are suppliers to the OEMs, to so those larger companies, right? And so when I speak to many of them, they are very interested in making investments, the right and smart investments in technology that are going to help keep them efficient and productive and competitive, right? Uh, and so I don't think the topic of growth is one that is foreign to the small and medium-sized manufacturer. I think that they are very keen into it. I think the challenge that small and medium-sized manufacturers have is limited resources and limited bandwidth, right? And so they might not have a person who is dedicated to looking at some of these, these topics. 
the way that a large company might. And so I, I think that that is the way I typically think of it is that they, they are very in tune to what's actually happening in the overall economy. It's just a matter of, of a number of different priorities that kind of at, at, at stake there. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually going to give you a story of one of my recent conversations when one of my Bank of America counterpart, and he was looking at one of the reports. And uh, what I typically find with the macroeconomic data and the research-based data is there is always a little bit of disconnect, okay, uh, versus what we are hearing in the community versus what the reports are telling us. So when we looked at the, the report, it was telling that the manufacturing has grown during the pandemic, and which was eye-opening for me because I actually talked to a lot of sales and manufacturing executives, and I, I don't really get the same impression. So what is your perspective with respect to the overall current economic conditions? And do you think that the data that we typically get, let's say, uh, from the research that really translates into what the current SMB is feeling? So that's a great question. And just to kind of back up a little bit, yeah. obviously last February to April, uh, that was really peak to trough in terms of the, the steep decline that we saw in overall manufacturing activity at the beginning part of the pandemic. Manufacturing activity overall fell 20.1% over the, that two-month period. So that's looking just at manufacturing production. We yeah. lost more than 1.3 million workers in the sector. Those numbers somewhat pale into comparison to when you look at the actual sector-by-sector sector breakouts. Uh, the worst sector by far uh, in that two-month period was motor vehicle and parts, uh, which was yeah. down 80, 83.5% in that two-month period. So flash forward since, since April, manufacturing actually has been a bit of a bright spot in, in the larger economy. It doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. We are clearly not back to pre-pandemic levels of employment or output at this point. But when you compare it to the service sector, we certainly have fared a little bit better. Overall, the manufacturing sector is just down 1% below where it was last February, which is pretty impressive. But we are down about 575,000 workers uh, from where we were this time last year. So again, a, a number of things, a number of challenges out there, even as we are a quote unquote bright spot. What I continue to hear from our manufacturing members, and, and this is something that I'm sure that you're hearing uh, in, the, in the companies that you're speaking with as well, is a, a large number of supply chain disruptions in, in, the, in the overall sector, They're just especially in, a, in, in an environment where manufacturing activity has been growing pretty rapidly. It's hard sometimes to keep up, yeah. uh, especially in, in a COVID world. As a result of the supply chain disruptions, and I, I guess I would add to that, there's also a lot of challenges with workforce and getting enough workers. You've seen raw material costs skyrocket, especially for steel and, and in the construction sector for lumber and a number of other uh, commodities. You're seeing very rapid increases in, pr in producer prices. And uh, I, I think it, those are really starting to have a little bit of a drag on the overall sector. Again, the service sector is, is faring worse, especially in Europe and other places, but you are still seeing some lingering challenges that are out there. When it comes to the number one issue that I hear about in terms of our NAM Manufacturers Outlook Survey, it's once again, not having enough talent. Uh, that That is the still the biggest challenge that's out there. And, and I'm, I've given a long-winded answer, but I don't think I've actually answered your actual question, which is even though the overall sector is down 
down uh, just 1% below where it was at the beginning part of the pandemic, there still are a number of sectors which are down by double digits relative to where they were before. So on a year-over-year basis, manufacturing production, for instance, for metals is still down roughly 6%, right? Uh, yeah. For for a lot of other sectors, even machine, you know, you, you get you get the idea. It's, it's not as broad-based as you might expect. And so we still are continuing to hear challenges. My, on an optimistic side, I do expect that by the time we get to the second half of this year, we will be back to pre-pandemic levels, but not that's not true for everyone. I do think uh, there's still going to be some lingering challenges out there. Okay, so this is very interesting, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. So obviously, you know, some of these sectors are still down, but the uh, overall pie is probably similar to what we had at the pandemic level, right? So there must be some sectors that must be booming at this point of time. So do you have a sense of those sectors that, that are booming? So I mentioned motor vehicle and parts earlier. They actually have fared pretty well, especially considering that they were down 83.5% last year, at one point last year. Overall, motor vehicle and parts are up 1.7% in terms of production over the last 12 months. So that's a pretty impressive uh, rebound considering what happened early on. The other sectors, obviously food, uh, food is, is, is benefited. Obviously, there's a changing in terms of, of, of where people are buying their food, but but overall food and beverage has, has fared well. Aerospace has bounced back. Chemicals is another sector. Keep in mind that chemicals includes pharmaceuticals. And so, yeah. you know, obviously that's part of the solution. But I think probably the biggest success story, and, and you know, you and I are talking remotely, I'm not actually looking at you in the eye here, is computers, right? Technology and computers. Everyone is, is looking more and more at how technology is changing the landscape. And so I, I would probably call that the biggest bright spot that's out there right now. Okay, interesting. And I'm actually going to touch on the similar topic uh, based on your previous comment, and that is going to be, you mentioned that manufacturers are always interested in the in the technology investment, right? From our perspective, when you talk about a small to medium-sized business, I mean, we are a small to medium-sized business. We do business in the ERP space, and obviously our manufacturers are small to medium-sized businesses as well. So for us as an executive, for us, the economy is going to be, what is my lead flow? Okay, so if I look at my lead flow, pre-pandemic level, obviously it is not the same. So I don't know if the sentiment is still same, even though the market is up. So I don't really see that the interest in the investment in, in technology at this point of time among manufacturing community, I don't know if it is still the same, or maybe it is because of the financial systems that they might not be as excited or but I mean, I keep hearing the same story even in the industry 4.0 space. They don't have the same lead flow at this point of time. So where is the disconnect? You are telling me that the manufacturers are definitely interested in growth. They are interested in the investment in technology, but we are not really seeing the same momentum. So what could be the disconnect here, Chad? What I would say is that manufacturers are, are always look trying to look ahead and say, what what is my facility going to look like? three, four, five years from now. And as a result of that, and, and you know, to be fair, I think the investments in technology were taking place well beyond, well before the pandemic. Uh, and so they already were starting to think, okay, what's going to, what is my facility going to look like down the line? I think what the pandemic changed is now technology is sometimes a solution, right? Uh, when it comes to maybe re-engineering your production process with social yeah. engineering in mind, it certainly has changed potentially maybe where there's possibilities for remote work, et cetera. But I think the overall trend line is still there in terms of how can I use augmented reality to help train my workforce to be able to do new things? How can I potentially incorporate some new 
form of robotics uh, into the production process that will help keep me competitive, maybe also help me with that social distancing uh, element, uh, but also help to kind of streamline the overall production process. And so I don't think the conversation has necessarily changed in, in many ways relative to what it was before the pandemic. I think what, what, what you've seen happen, uh, we actually, there was a survey that PwC did, I think last May, that yeah. said where, where companies were pinching pennies in other categories, they still were making investments in technology, largely because they saw that as a growth opportunity down the line, right? We also are, are currently doing, we're updating our skills gap study that we do with Deloitte every so often. And, I, and I've asked a lot of these manufacturing member companies that we're talking to, what does the future of work look like for your company? How is technology play into that space? And, and certainly I think having that Continuous learning, having that digitization and data background, I think is, is a helpful skill to have. Uh, and I think certainly recognizing the, the future potential of where the sector is going. So I think maybe that's where the disconnect is. I think certainly right now everyone is focused on the here and now, but I think most companies that I talk to are, are, are certainly focused on where are they moving down the line one, two, three, four, five years from now. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about workforce as well, right? So you mentioned that the uh, manufacturers are having the serious workforce challenges, but at the same time, the unemployment rate is still at a very high rate at this point of time, right? A lot of people don't yeah. have jobs. So why is there a disconnect between these two data points? So I call this the paradox, uh, because <laughs> because you're right, the unemployment rate is 6.3%. Uh, keep in mind, this time last year, it was 3.5, which was a 50-year low. We have you know almost 10 million Americans who are out of work uh, yeah. in terms of the unemployment rates. We're down 575,000 workers in terms of manual manufacturing employment. And yet, time and time again, when I go out and I, I survey our members about what are the top challenges, the number one issue is the inability to attract and, and retain workers. To me, the, the skills gap is a structural problem. We've known this problem is, is going to be happening for the last decade. As long as I've been at the NAM, we've talked about the skills gap, <laughs> largely because baby boomers are retiring, right? And and there's yeah. that, the worry out there about where is that next generation of worker going to come from when, when they do retire. And so part of that is, I think, a perceptional challenge. I, I mentioned a second ago, we're doing a lot of interviews with companies as part of this Deloitte study. Uh, I said to, to many of them, you know, we have a lot of service sector workers who are out of how to work right now. How are you going to get those people who were selling as a cashier or whatever behind, or, or maybe a, a burger flipper, how are you going to get them into your shop floor? And the first thing they say is, well, we got to get them interested, <laughs> right? They're not thinking of us, right? And so I, I think that there are these perceptions out there that manufacturing is dark, dirty, and dangerous, which are not true, certainly in, in, a, in a modern sense. And and yet people have that stereotype out there. So we, we've got to get them interested in manufacturing in ways that they weren't before. The second one is, is that because manufacturing is so technologically advanced now, you, you need a different type of worker than we might have before, right? It's not just a matter of doing the same routine over and over and over again, right? It, it, it's, it's now you need someone who can look at a computer, look at, you know, be able to understand what the computer is printing out and you know, spitting out to them maybe having some other type of, of, of trade or skill uh, that, that requires some additional work. And so you're looking for a different type of worker, and that means that sometimes there's a skills mismatch there. And I guess the last thing I would say is that 
we as a society, we think we like to think of ourselves as being very mobile, but the reality is we are not, right? Um, and, and I like to pick on my family here. I, I'm from rural yeah. Illinois. Uh, I have uh, a, a lot of my family members would never leave Illinois, despite the fact that there's probably greater opportunities if they were to move and go elsewhere, right? And yeah. so sometimes part of that challenge is that not only do you have a skills mismatch, but you also have a location mismatch. And that is the challenge that we like, that we have quite a bit. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about supply chain disruption a bit. So what does it mean to, let's say, if we talk about manufacturing CFO or COO? So how are these supply chain disruptions uh, translating to their challenges at this point of time and what they can do to prepare for these disruptions? Well, I guess the, the biggest supply chain disruption that you hear about, just to kind of pick on some current events, uh, is obviously the lack of chips in the motor vehicle sector, right? And just the, the huge ramifications that that is having on, you know, you're actually having OEMs, major car companies saying that they're having to shut down production for a while because they're waiting to catch up in terms of chips. But you see that even on a smaller scale with some other companies as, as well, some of that in, in a just-in-time production process, if you're waiting for one supplier to give you something and it's not there, that really is going to hamstring the entire process. You might have to, to shut down for a little while. The other thing that I continue to hear about is, again, kind of in that COVID world, you might just have one or two people who can do a certain task and maybe one of them was exposed to COVID or potentially exposed to COVID. Now, now you've got to be flexible with your workforce to be able to handle that load. And so there are these kind of unique challenges out there with, number one, the fact that manufacturing is a bright spot right now, um, but also the fact that you have COVID kind of underlying that and uh, in a just-in-time process, if, if one of those dominoes doesn't fall at the right time, uh, that creates some, some backups along the process. Okay, amazing. So let's talk about some of the changes that we are going to see with respect to COVID. So I don't know if there are going to be any changes in the way we do business, if manufacturing Manufacturers should be changing their business models or the way they interact with their customers or the way they sell their stuff. Are you seeing any of that insight in your in your surveys or during your conversations with, with manufacturers? I think companies are trying to figure out what the new normal looks like, right? Yeah. Um, certainly, we, we spoke earlier about remote work. I think yeah. to, a, to a large extent, particularly on the white collar side of manufacturing, I think many of those people who are working remotely probably will stay remote. Uh, yeah. So so that certainly is is a shift. I think beyond that, I think companies are clearly looking at uh, what can they do to re-engineer the pro production process so that there is social distancing, so that if this were to ever happen again, they don't have to shut down the line, right, to be able to, to make sure that those protections are there. That's not always possible. Oftentimes, production requires people to be in close proximity of one another. So that certainly is something that will likely shift. Technology could be so the solution there to a certain extent because robotics might be something that could be placed in to, to kind of help that production process. And so I, I do think companies are looking at, number one, how can technology be incorporated to help not only with COVID, but it, with any other future thing that might come up. I think the uh, everyone that I talk to says that they're reevaluating their supply chain. I'm, I'm not sure that every company knows what that means, right? Does that mean yeah. that the U.S. is going to benefit from that? Does that mean they're going to be doing more onshoring? I mean, maybe it might, but, but I think companies are looking at, again, is there duplication in the production process or, or in terms of suppliers? Where else can I get parts if, if this one is down? Or, or maybe I can move stuff closer to home so I can monitor a little bit better, right? So I do think companies are reevaluating their supply chain. To be fair, I think they were already doing that before COVID, uh, largely yeah. because of the trade war. So there's that element. So that's all on, on the production side. I think the bigger challenge uh, that the manufacturers have is 
how has the consumer changed? <laughs> because I think consumers also have shifted their thinking. This has been a huge game changer, right? And so I'll, I'll, I'll pick on packaged foods here. You know, pre-COVID, uh, it, packaged foods were kind of starting to lose favor, right? Especially amongst millennials. And yet during this, this crisis, as everyone has stayed home, packaged foods have gained favor, right? So if I was selling in the packaged food business without picking on any company, I, I, you'd have to ask yourself, is that a trend that's going to stay? Or is it? are you going to revert back to the way things were pre-COVID? And so I I do think some trends have changed so dramatically that some of them are going to stick. Others might not as much. Millennials were not buying cars pre-COVID, and now suddenly they are because they realized that, that that was a way that you could have appropriate social distancing, right? And so I think that there are some definite consumer trends that have shifted. Um, and, and I think as a manufacturer, you've got to figure out which one of those are going to stick post-COVID and which ones aren't, because you've got to be able to, to be appropriately aligned with however those consumer sh shifts have, have have moved. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit uh, with COVID. So I was speaking to one of the persons from, uh, from wine industry, and wine industry has changed completely because now they don't really have that in-person interaction. So pre-COVID, what they used to do is they used to go to different restaurants. They used to have this wine tasting event, even at the retail outlets, but they don't have that anymore. So what they have started doing is they are doing a lot of Zoom calls, and you'll be surprised. I mean, they are actually shipping the wine packages before before the Zoom call starts. So this is a very interesting way of doing business. Have you seen any similar trends or have you come across any similar stories? Because of COVID, if any manufacturers have changed the way they were doing business, and that is completely a surprise when you heard that. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, what you're describing there is the sales techniques of a lot of manufacturers, right? They were yeah. doing a lot of in-person sales calls, right? Yeah. Now they're doing all that from home. And so I think that's that's one of the new normals that we hear out there. People are moving much more virtual. Yeah. Uh, I used to be on the road myself, right? I, I was <laughs> probably, I was if I was giving a presentation, I would be out, uh, you know, pretty much at least once a month, get a meeting with member companies, kind of fit, getting a sense of what was happening in terms of the overall economy as it relates to, to what they were seeing. Now we're doing all of these briefings virtually, right? Um, and so uh, moving into that new normal, in fact, at some point, we'll, we'll, we'll be getting out there and still doing business uh, trips uh, just because I think there's there's value in, in getting out there and seeing people face to face and seeing what's really happening on the ground. But I think that there's also going to be a trend there that, that says, hey, we, we've learned that this works, the virtualness works, right? Uh, and, and I think you're going to see perhaps a lot fewer business trips uh, than what you were seeing pre-COVID uh, just because there's no reason for me to get on a plane and fly a thousand miles or something for a, a 30 minute presentation when I can do it virtually. And so I think that that is also what you're seeing in terms of sales calls, et cetera. Okay. And what is your perspective on the macroeconomic data, right? So let, let's talk about some of these small to medium-sized businesses, right? I don't know if any of those really use the macroeconomic data to actually make the decisions. I don't know if they uh, buy this data from a source. Uh, they might go to, let's say, a, a lot of different events and, and they might be making decisions based on whatever they are hearing. But number one, should they be using this data? for any of the decisions that they are making? Let's say if they are launching new products, are they using this data right now? If not, why should they be using this data? 
See, most of the of the manufacturing companies that I speak to, even the small ones, follow what's happening in the news and and in the economy yeah. pretty closely. So they, you know, they're looking at, at at GDP. They're looking at the ISM purchasing managers index. They're looking at the yeah. employment numbers. And I think that for the most part, those companies are looking at it just from a, a general gauge of okay, what's happening in the larger economy and 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 vis-a-vis how does that affect me, right? Yeah, uh, you're right. Most of them don't have an economist. In fact, in, in many ways. I am kind of their quasi economist as the chief yeah. economist at the NAM. And, and they and they certainly read my my Monday economic report. But I think the value that that companies get in looking at macroeconomic data is to look at some just general trends uh, as it relates to sentiment, right? You're, you know, looking at consumer confidence or what the the, yeah. the, the PMI numbers shows uh, what's happening in terms of what future sales might be. You know, they're looking at it from that lens. But I think the other element to that, and and, and one to not be uh, forgotten, is that they also follow political news pretty closely as well. <laughs> right, because I think nowadays to be a good economist or to be a good business leader, you've got to understand what's wash what's Washington is doing or what what the yeah. state capital is doing in your in your state, because that really affects not just the economy, but certainly it could affect what's going to happen uh, down the line for you, right? And so everyone's looking now at what will a Biden administration do in terms of taxes or regulation or some type of infrastructure investment or whatever else it might be, right? And so as I'm traveling around, there's an enormous amount of interest not just in the economy, um, but in what's happening in terms of policy. And I think to be a good forecaster, you almost have to to kind of have a gr- good handle of both. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, that was going to be my next question now. <laughs> so let's good, talk about policy. I, I segued right? nicely for you. So. <laughs> I know, right? You're helping me out. So, okay. So let's talk about the policy and forecasting. So if we look at different sectors, right? And if I'm the manufacturing CFO of, let's say, either the metal organization uh, or the motor parts organization or the machinery organization. So how are these policies going to affect me as the CFO or the COO? Well, I think the first thing to say is that this is going to be a really strong rebound year in the economy, right? And I think people yeah. know that. I mean, uh, you know, I expect to see 5% GDP growth, right? Okay. I already mentioned to you that I uh, expect manufacturing production. I actually think we'll be back to pre-pandemic levels probably before the middle of the year. So I, I think that that's a nice encouraging sign. Uh, so what does that mean, right? I think when you're looking at overall policies as well, we already got a stimulus from the end of the Trump administration last year. We're likely going to get another $1.9 trillion package passed uh, in, in the coming weeks as part of the Biden administration. And they're looking at doing some additional investments uh, later this year likely in terms of infrastructure. And the way that I think of that, I think of that not just as your traditional roads, bridges, that kind of stuff, but also broadband, also probably some green uh, some green energy or, or, or green grid kind of stuff. And so if you're looking at all of these things coming down the pike, that, that certainly means an enormous amount of stimulus for the economy, right? Which means uh, if, you, if I'm a business leader, that means that my demand is going to be pretty, pretty strong. If I'm selling, for instance, machinery, if there's going to be a major infrastructure package, you know that, that construction Construction companies are going to love that, right? Steel, all these companies are going to love the fact that you're going to be making some pretty major investments in the economy into into the infrastructure. And so I, I think that knowing those, I think certainly helps you be able to plan not just for this year but for next year, knowing that those are, are possible 
things on, on the agenda. So those are positives. Uh, on the negative side, I guess, is that there's also conversations about what will happen with tax policy, right? Yeah. Uh, in the Trump administration, we had a pretty significant tax reform. Uh, most of our companies loved uh, the fact that taxes were lower and much more competitive globally. And, and the Biden administration has has said, at least in their campaign, that they want to raise corporate rates up to, to 28%, right? So what does that mean for you as a company if that were, were going to happen? And certainly the NAM will be you know, pushing back against that, but it's certainly something that's part of the conversation. And we would also expect a much more aggressive re- regulatory stance uh, from the part of, of Washington. Uh, again, probably much more akin to what we saw in the Obama years. So as you're looking out, not just at the, the favorables, but you're also looking out at saying, okay, what new regulations might be coming down the pike that could affect my business, not just this year, but next year. Okay, amazing. So let's talk about some of the manufacturers and, and, and their resources. So obviously, you mentioned that 90% of the manufacturers are probably involved with NAM, right? But I don't know how involved they are. So and, and because of that, I don't know if they are going to be aware of all the resources that they can utilize. So do you want to sure. talk about some of the resources that they can take advantage of or they should take advantage of? So, I mean, certainly, hopefully you're a member of a trade association, right? Uh, So uh, obviously I would be pushing the National Association of Manufacturers. We're a great organization. (laughs) But there's also a lot of state associations that uh, particularly give since a lot of uh, policies come from your state government. Yeah. Hopefully you're a member of one of those as well. And, and we actually are, are affiliated uh, with you know, a, a manufacturing association in every state. So you can go on our website and see who we're affiliated with. But there also were a lot of vertical associations. So the for steel or for, for aluminum or for you know, electronic components, et cetera. So we have about 250 vertical associations that we also partner with, right? So it, that helps expand the overall breadth of our, of our reach. Uh, but it, but you know, each of those associations gets much more tailored into either state policy or to, to regulations or, or policies that might be more specific to that specific sector. As it relates to the NAM, what we're out there doing, people join the NAM largely because we're out lobbying on their behalf for tax policy or regulation, yeah. regulatory policy, looking at infrastructure investments. Uh, you had a lot of people last year who were looking to the NAM, particularly at the beginning part of the pandemic, for looking for some guidance on how do I continue to make my business deemed essential, right? <laughs> as, as, yeah. as, as state governments we're closing uh, a lot of facilities or in, in terms of vaccines or in terms of other things that are coming out. So I do think that there's an enormous amount of intellectual knowledge that our policy uh, leaders have in terms of some of these topics. And, and the advantage I think that, that members have of the NAM is that you have pretty instant access to that knowledge, right? People who want to know about the economy will call me <laughs> and, yeah. and I'll pick up the phone, right? Um, yeah, yeah. If you're looking at tax policy or trade policy or whatever else, the, the, the similar type of, of knowledge is there on, on some of those topics as well. So I, I would encourage folks to go to the NAM's website, nam.org, and and we can certainly you can email me as well and I can hook you up to our membership folks. Okay, amazing. So that's it for uh, today, Chad. Do you, do you have any last minute closing thoughts for uh, manufacturers? No, I, th- I, I think what I would say is that I, you know, I'm bullish about manufacturing as a sector. I think that uh, we're, we're coming through this pandemic. Obviously, we were hit pretty hard by it, but I do think that not only are we the bright spot now, but I think that there's a lot of optimism for the sector moving forward. And if anyone wants to, to get my regular thoughts on the economy, I would encourage you to follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Chad Moutre. So that's C-H-A-D-M-O-U. 
T-R-A-Y. Okay, so my personal uh, takeaway from this conversation is going to be there are there is going to be exciting times. Probably the worst is over. So on that note, thank you so much for your time and insight. It was a fun conversation, Chad. Thank you. Uh, hope to do this again, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chad, head over to nam.org. It's N-A-M dot O-R-G. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Harry Moser from Reshoring Initiatives, who discusses how to compute the total cost of ownership of reshoring initiatives. Also, the interview with Amanda Slaty, who discusses how manufacturers and retailers can better manage disruptions associated with COVID spread. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.